Welcome back, everyone, to Reformed Apologia and to our series on soteriology, Reformed soteriology, otherwise known as the doctrine of salvation. Uh, the reason I have been a little absent from YouTube um, is because I wanted the previous video to kind of marinate a little bit. For those who are interested in following along, uh, I'm, I'm sure you guys know it's not a very big channel, but to the few people that genuinely appreciate my content, I am more than happy to keep this going. Um, you know, I, uh, my, the, like I said in the first video, the purpose is for me to help explain the the reform perspective, which I believe to be the most biblical. Um, if you guys disagree, of course, you can leave it in the comments. I love to dialogue. I have a Discord. I will link it uh, link it below. Uh, if you would like to have a chat, if you have a disagreement or further question um, in which I can either address in a video or you want to discuss with me. Um, but other than that, we're going to get into the topic today. Uh, I'm going to try not to make it as long as I did last time. The other time was an hour long because it was a lot to cover. Um, it, 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 it involved essentially laying down the key points, the foundational, uh, the most scriptural things that we need to clear that we need to we need to cover before we get into the actual order. Now I know a lot of people can get eager, um, such as people who ask me, "When are you going to cover regeneration?" or "When are you going to cover faith?" Um, when are you going to cover the question whether regeneration precedes faith or whether faith precedes rege regeneration? Um, I know a lot of people, and I myself am eager to cover those things. Um, I genuinely love to study these things. For example, I love to study the, the particular doctrine of justification. Um, which I explained in my last video, many people confuse salvation, you know, solely, the solely, that solely has to do with justification, as we know that the scriptures profoundly emphasize on so much more than that. For example, our sanctification is also included in our part, in our plan of salvation, our faith, our repentance, um, and the systematic way of approaching it through the doctrine of soteriology we lay it down um, biblically according to how the Bible expresses it in order. Um, and as we covered last time, we covered the framework of the, the these particular um, these particular the, the particular order of salvation, primarily covering the work of the Spirit, the 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 sole agent, the operate the one who operates within our heart. Uh, obviously, as Reformed theologians, we would affirm monergism, which means that God is the one who is solely acting upon a dead soul. Um, again, we're going to be covering anthropology, theology proper later down in, down the line, but for now, we're going to be covering theology proper concerning soteriology. Um, and so, yeah, like I said, uh, it's important to cover the grounds by which we have um, by, by which we have been revealed in the Bible, of course. So last time, again, like I said, last time we covered the work of the Spirit, the 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 framework as laid down by Paul. Um, but before we get into the actual order, I know a lot of you guys, as as you guys have seen in the in the, the in the description, the title of the video, um, the title is going to be the, sorry, the video is going to be on union with Christ. Um, that is a is an important as I mentioned in my last time, in my last video that union with Christ is not only a branch it, do, it not only it doesn't only concern the beginning of salvation nor does it concern somewhere uh, something in the middle of salvation neither does it concern the end of salvation but rather salvation as a whole in the beginning in between every single other point and in the end. Christ is the essence, Christ's work, and himself is the grounds by which the Holy Spirit operates. 
And so, again, like we covered last time, the, the act of Asian, the one bringing it about, is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the one who is actively working about these things, infusing new qualities into the soul, enlightening our minds, regenerating our wills, on and on and on, up to the point of our conversion, where he grants us faith, he grants us repentance, he, he illuminates our mind again. These are all the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's important to cover what is the grounds by which the Holy Spirit does these things. Uh, now, we can use some imagery here from the Old Testament, of course, uh, and in the, in, in, the new, in the New Testament, uh, before explaining my four-part breakdown. Um, it, 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 you can think of it as the grounds by which we stand condemned today. Um, naturally, as Paul says, we are all by nature children of wrath. The, the, the grounds by which we um, are in that state is because of our federal head, Adam. It's just to kind of give you guys an example of what I mean by grounds. What is the grounds by which we stand in condemnation? As Romans 5 says, that we inherit that guilt, right? Like it, it says in uh, condemnation in the Greek would mean a damnatory sentence. So because of Adam, we have a damnatory sentence for those who don't believe in original sin. Uh, in a less moderate Augustinian view, uh, I believe that Romans 5 emphasizes that very, very clearly. As um, as Romans 5 says, uh, uh, Romans 5.16, The free gift is not like the result of one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Right? Condemnation, again, meaning a damnatory sentence. So, again, just to give you an example of what we mean by grounds, um, likewise with Christ, as likewise... Paul uh, makes a point here between Paul, uh, sorry, between Adam and Christ. Uh, like I said, likewise, it is the grounds by which we are saved through the mediation, through the work of Christ. Um, so just to give you a, a, an example, um, um, uh, you know, also another kind of imagery that we can work with in the Old Testament, right? Because we know that the scriptures, the, the entire point of the gospel, the entire point of the plan of redemption is found in Jesus Christ. It is none in none other. Like Peter says, there is no name under heaven given to us by God in which we can be saved, other than the, the name Jesus Christ, the anointed Messiah, the anointed Savior. As it says in Matthew chapter one, you will call him Jesus because he will save his people from his sins. Right? Christ is the ultimate climax of redemptive history. All through thousands of years of redemptive history in Israel finally being revealed in Christ. In Christ is the end all, the end of the law. We are no longer bound to the law. We are no longer bound to our own sin. We are no longer held captive, but Christ has set us free. If you are in Christ, indeed, you are a new creation. And so, obviously, as Christians, we know that importance. We know how important that is. Um, but is it, it is very much as important to, to not only to note but to ground it upon the doctrine of salvation. Why? Because in every area of the work and the life of Christ, we can relate back to not only in our personal lives, but as we are being saved. Um, again, as Paul points out, the merits of Christ are the grounds by which we have these things, uh, specifically talking about salvation. So again, uh, before we get into the four part, just one more thing to cover. The, for, like I said, the imagery that we can look to in the Old Testament being, for example, Christ being the ultimate fulfillment of many things. For example, we know that Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of, of, um, of, of a high priest, for example, as the book of Hebrews emphasizes heavily on. 
Uh, Christ is no longer Christ is not not a, a mediator of the old covenant in which you would have to sacrifice an animal every year, as as the author of Hebrews says, that cannot take away sins. But Christ is the fulfillment of that. Christ is the new high priest, the better high priest, and he's not mediating in a he- in, in a tabernacle made by hands here on earth, but rather he is the mediator in the heavenly tabernacle before God, interceding on our behalf, like Romans 8 says, and like Hebrews 7 says, he is interceding for us. And so Christ is a fulfillment of uh, of, of the prophets. Christ is a fulfillment of the high priest. Christ is a fulfillment of, of, of the king that was resembled in Israel. Christ is, is, is the one who basically fulfills it all. Like, again, all points to Christ. And so that imagery, that, um, that, that typology gives us a better grounding as to how we can see, how can, how can we apply the redemptive merits of Christ in the doctrine of salvation in soteriology. And so having that said, um, that, that would pertain more to like a biblical theology, um, not so much biblical theology, but what I mean is to study the, the, in depth the nature of the, that typology leading up to Christ and the person and the work of Christ. Um, now we're going to be looking into the four parts that we're going to be breaking down this video. Union with Christ. How is it that we are in union with Christ? Well, we're going to be breaking down into four parts again. So number one, the one the one way we are united with Christ in our redemption is primarily in our election, right? So as um, as as we try to follow the Bible as much as we possibly can, we know that the Bible expressly and directly teaches the doctrine of election, and I think that is important and clear. So what do I mean by we, what do I mean when I say that we are in union with Christ in our election? Well, it's very clear and simple as we can, for example, read in Ephesians chapter 1, the very beginning, the very first verses in verses uh, 4 and 5, I believe it's one of the clearest examples we can see, and it reads, reading out of the ESV, by the way, uh, it reads, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we be, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Again, keep in word, uh, keep in mind the word in him, right? In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, in which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in heaven and on earth. Um, That's just one of the examples of how we are in union with Christ. The Father decrees, the Father ordains, and he gives us and commits us to the Son for our redemption, for our salvation. This is the purpose of Christ. This is the ministry of Christ, that he shall lose none of all that the Father has given him. Uh, If you catch that reference, yes, that is from John chapter 6 and also in parallel with John chapter 10. uh, As we read in verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. What is the will of him who sent him? What is the will of the Father? This is the the will uh, of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. 
but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Right? And the Jews grumbled, and they, they were asking, okay, well, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, and this and that? And then Jesus says, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, it is very clear um, I mean, we can we can look at multiple passages. John chapter ten, where he says, "I know my own, and my own know me." I, you know, it, it's it's such it's such an amazing passage that this is the purpose of the ministry of Christ. That in before the foundation of the world, we have been committed to Christ to be saved, right? So this in this way, we are in union with Christ. As we're going to look at two more passages, right? So the first one says, um, sorry, the third one. It says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one is able to, to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, very profound emphasis on our election with Christ. We, Christ makes it plain and simple. The Father has given them to me. We have been elected unto salvation. As for example, 2 Timothy, we can read um, in regards to our election, not according to our merits, not according to our works, but according to his glorious grace, right? As Ephesians 1 says, we can use that parallel. Now, if the 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 9 says, um, there, uh, sorry, we'll start in verse 8, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, um, of me his prisoner, but share in his suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ before the ages began, and which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, and our, sorry, our Lord Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death on and on. So that probably is the, is the, is the highest key passage that we can look to this is the purpose of his ministry that it, it was set forth for him as ephesians 1 says set forth for the fullness of time to unite all things in heaven and on earth what is that he that he basically just emphasizes the grace in which he lavished upon us before the world began that is the emphasis and that is the 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 point in which paul says uh the means by which we are also elected um sorry the the means by which we are also in union with christ um, is is that precise that is precisely that right our election with him and now obviously we can look to another passage um that really uh, another passage that also very well sums it up as as it says in in Romans 8 right chapter uh Rom chapter 8 verse uh, 28 where it says those whom he foreknew he predestined predestined to what predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that you know those who are justified they will be justified, they will be glorified, they will be called, on and on. So again, it's just a high and profound emphasis on this union with Christ. Now, obviously, you know, it doesn't mean that we have a transformative or or some kind of status before we are, or before we come to conversion, before we come to faith and repentance, but rather, it is the plan of God. As Ephesians 1 says, this is according to his will and to his purpose, right, in which he worked and lavished upon us. Now, this plan was set forth by God, as Jesus says, he has given to me and I shall lose none. So in that primary way, we are in union with Christ through our election uh, 
because God the Father has committed to us, sorry, has committed to the Son our redemption. The Son accomplishes that. The Son comes down, accomplishes those things in which, by which we can be saved, and the Holy Spirit actively applies them to today. So that is why we call it the economic plan of redemption, the Trinitarian plan of redemption in which it cannot fail. So the next thing we're going to be talking about is the incarnation of Christ. The second point in which we are in union with Christ. Uh, we are already at 22 minutes, I believe. I don't want to make this too long. I want to keep this nice and short so you guys can 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 really grab on before we start into the actual order salutis, right? Um, so the, the, the second mode in which we have union with Christ is in his incarnation, right? As we said before, he is the fulfillment of the high priest. He is the he is the new high priest. There is no other who holds the priesthood. Christ holds it permanently, as the book of Hebrews says. And so when, when when Christ becomes incarnate, it is the climax. It is the ultimate climax of redemptive history, right? God is not only a God to us, but rather God is now among us, as John 1 says, right? Jesus is not only God for us, rather he is God with us. He has come and dwelt among us. He is not, um, he, he humbled himself to the point of death. But before we look at his death and resurrection, we have to look at the amazing fact that Christ became a human with a human mind, with, with a human body. He, he, he took upon flesh, right? He, he became a real human being, not just some kind of, um, you know, arbitrary, this, you know, uh, arbitrary force that kind of you know, visualizes some kind of physical essence. No, but he actually was born of a woman, born under the law, as Paul says, for our redemption. So how, how exactly does that relate? Well, as the book of Hebrews says in chapter 2, um, ta talking about how Christ can now relate to us as a high priest because he now suffered this, he has suffered the things that we suffer today, right? He was tempted like we were. He, 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 he suffered like we do. Right. And so therefore we can call him a merciful high priest because he can sympathize with his creation, with his brothers. Right. As as the Bible says over and over again. And the, the, the reason that is profound is because that really is the means by which God has ordained to take about to, to he has ordained to come about that Christ should become incarnate and through this incarnation, by becoming the, by, by becoming the, the a man like his creation, by becoming one like us. Uh, he was able to accomplish and merit this salvation through his death, burial, and resurrection, right? He had real blood. He had real bones. And like Hebrews 9.22 says, there is no redemption without the shedding of blood. Um, and so that is why it is so profound that we have union with Christ in that, in that, um, in, in the incarnation of Christ, because Christ now come becomes an intimate and personal high priest for us, right? Um, again, going to be going to be going over the other points um, more quickly. Um, the main one I wanted to cover already covered, by the way, but um, but th this one is also uh, each one of these are actually profound. Don't get that wrong. But to, just to, for time's sake, um, that is that is just one key emphasis. As Hebrews two says, we can study. We can you guys can study that later. Hebrews chapter two and three, again, that emphasize the fulfillment of Christ of him. You know, becoming a man, becoming a high priest, a faithful high priest. Like again, who can sympathize. Uh, with us, right in our suffering, um, he 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 has he intercedes for us, right. So again, this this now becomes a personal. This come, becomes personal and intimate, right. It's no longer 
Christ is in heaven, God is in heaven, he doesn't relate to us in any other way other than his special revelation, but no, rather Christ has now come down, God now dwelt among us, right? He is now with us. So that is one, sorry, that is another profound way, number two, um, of how we are in union with Christ. So now the third way we are in union with Christ is again, as we just mentioned, through his death, burial, and resurrection, right? So again, not only did Christ live a perfect life, and as Romans 8 says, that, that he did what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He condemns sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So that can really sum up what exactly did Christ do and accomplish. So again, in theology, we would basically term this the active and passive obedience of Christ. So again, Christ did not only obey to the point where he is submissive under the law. Again, as we know, Christ reconciled us to the Father on the cross uh, so that we might be righteous in him, as for example, 2 Corinthians 5.21 um, it's a profound passage that again covers and explains the means by which we are reconciled to God. The means by which Christ has set forth through his merits that are applicable through the Holy Spirit. And so as um, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for example, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so in 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 that in doing that in laying down his life for his sheep as as John 10 says as becoming a propitiatory sacrifice set forth by the father he has bore our sins as Isaiah 53 says and he has he has given unto us righteousness he imputes unto us righteousness and that is exactly the means by which we are in union with Christ in his death resurrection and ascension in that saying that well Christ obeyed the law so that the righteous requirement might be fulfilled in us. And not only that, but he's, he laid down his life, reconciled us to the Father. So now that we are made righteous, we are righteousness, we are righteous in him. We are no long, We are not simply or merely, as R.C. Sproul once said, we are not just freed from the bondage and captivity of the law. Not only are we accounted as if we actually have fulfilled or accomplished the law, but now we are also righteous before God, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Again, as we just read in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin was made sin on our behalf. Christ was born under the law. Christ became a curse for us, right? Galatians chapter 3. These are all things that pertain to how Christ accomplished and merited this salvation. And this is how the Holy Spirit applies it to us. So that in our conversion, right, when we actually when we actually have faith, when we actually have repentance, the Holy Spirit is working that which is that which Christ accomplished to us, that is now the grounds by, uh, uh, of our salvation, right? The merit of Christ. Likewise, again, imagery, typology, and foreshadow. Again, Adam used to be our federal head. Through his disobedience, we are made sinful. We are condemned. But now through the grounds of the righteousness and the merit of Christ, we are righteous. We uh, Again, as Paul says in Romans 5, we inherit the, the, the gift of righteousness, the gift of justification, the gift of, of sanctification. As uh, 1 Corinthians 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 31 says that he became unto us righteousness, sanctification, and wisdom, and all these different things, so that he may dispense all these blessings as he pleases. And so that is the profoundness of how we are in union with Christ through his merits. That is, that, again, 
key point, that is now the grounds of how we are saved. That is the grounds of our redemption. Again, the Holy Spirit takes that, applies it. Redemption accomplished, redemption applied, as many, uh, as some of you may recall from John Murray. Um, it is a profound thing to study. It is a profound thing to realize that the Holy Spirit is not arbitrarily acting upon some random or mere force based upon your merits or based upon your foreseen merits. No, but rather on the merit of Christ. Christ reconciled us to the Father. He has given unto us a righteousness. He was raised up for our justification, Romans 4.25. It is such a profound thing, and in that way we also have union with Christ. As Romans 6, for example, says, we died with him. We were raised with him. Let me just read that really uh, really quickly because it's such a profound thing to, to emphasize on Romans, Romans chapter 6. Um, after having explained, you know, what then shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Of course not. Do you not know that all of us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. And this is what Paul says in in verse 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified, uh, with him in order that the body of sin might no, might be brought to nothing so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has died um has been set free from sin now if christ uh, sorry now if we have died with christ we believe that we will also live with him he goes on to explain that and it's just, it's just such a clear picture of basically uh, the, a summary of how we are, are in union with Christ through all those works of Christ, it, 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 very simply. In that saying, in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension, we all share that. We we have that blessing. We have that to look forward to because of Christ. Christ accomplished it. Christ died on the cross. We die with him. We are no longer held captive by the law. We are no held cap. We are no longer held captive by sin. Christ rose from the dead. Likewise, we will partake in the same resurrection. We will have a body like Christ, a new and glorified body, and we will be ascended into heaven. We will be heirs according to the promise into, in, in which he has given us as an inheritance, as we have seen in, in, in Ephesians chapter 1. So in that way, we are in union, in union with Christ. Um, and, and lastly, uh, just stemming off from that, we are in union with Christ um, in the personal working of our salvation. Again, I've, as I emphasized before, it's kind of just a summary of all of that I've, I've really just touched upon in that saying that our union with Christ, the means by the grounds by which we have this applied to us, the, the, the possibility that is now given to us um, is, again, not just a working by the Holy Spirit, but it is possible and it is accomplished by Jesus Christ. Um, in, in, in that way, so that when we are being saved, when the Holy Spirit is, again, granting and infusing and, and, and enlightening and, and, and regenerating all these different things, we keep in mind that the Holy Spirit is bringing us in union with Christ. Not only with Christ as our faithful and merciful high priest, but as a redeemer and a person who has come down as God himself who has come down and accomplished these things. Um, so again, union with Christ is 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 a, is such a profound doctrine. Again, in in and of itself, it's interesting to study. It is profound to study within all the scriptures. But relating to our salvation, again, it is the it is the grounds by, by our salvation. It is the grounds by which we have salvation. It is the grounds by which we 
can 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 say i believe in jesus christ who has redeemed me because he has redeemed you and so and so the 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 working of the holy spirit is simply the the he is just the, the mediator the one who brings us to christ right again this is in, this is salvation is a trinitarian thing right nothing happens without the decree or ordination or the drawing of the father nothing happen no, salvation doesn't happen without the merits the death the burial and the resurrection of jesus christ and again just as important salvation does not happen without the operation without the control without the the sovereignty of the holy spirit applying these things and keeping us in the faith on and on so um i tried to make this video a little shorter than last time um it's um i, I hope you guys understand that before we get into the actual order of salvation this is a this is, is this principle again just as principle as studying the nature of the holy spirit um before we even before we even dive deep into the into the um into the framework that we must emphasize we must primarily focus upon the work the finished work the redemption and again death burial resurrection of christ uh as the grounds by which we are saved um so i hope you guys enjoyed this video i hope you guys uh profit something from this uh again um there's many scriptures that we looked to uh, we looked at today you guys can come go ahead and and study that further because i believe that the further you study the more in depth you study these passages, the more clearly it will it will start to 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 see. So, again, next time we're going to be starting to get into the actual order salutis. I know I promised that last time. Uh, I promised that we would get into it sooner, but now we're gonna um, we're gonna be getting into the again the um, the distinction between the external and the internal calling, the general call of the gospel, the implications of common grace. Um, but for now, I hope this this was beneficial. I hope that this was helpful. And I hope that you guys have a blessed day or night wherever you're watching. Whenever you're watching, thank you guys for clicking on this video. And if you can just give me a like, I would really appreciate that. Anyway, thanks guys and have a blessed day.